where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. And you are wanted and you are valued here. We have stories of faith that connect us, whether you're in Connecticut, Colorado, the United States, or Europe, or anywhere in the world. We are thinking about community this week, or continuing to think about community this week. And it makes me wonder how you know when you belong to a community. How do you know when you belong to a place or a people? Is it when you look like everyone there? Or you think like everyone there? Or you act like everybody else there? Sometimes it's maybe based on what you do for a living or what hobbies you have. Last week in her reflection, Reverend Sarah mentioned uh, homeowners associations, and it reminded me that sometimes we belong to a community based on where we live. And if it's not your HOA, then maybe it's a neighborhood book club or something other location-specific. This question of what defines a community was raised a lot in the early church. And so today, as we turn to Romans, we are turning to a letter that Paul wrote to those early Christians as they gathered in Rome, and he was attempting to help them define this. What does it mean to be a community? And if you've been a part of a community, of any community, you know this question comes up. It comes up because as communities grow and change, they have to define and redefine this. Let's hear what Paul has to say to the church in Rome, and we're reading from the 12th chapter, beginning in verse 1. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. This is your spiritual worship. Don't be conformed to the world, be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you will know what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and moves you towards wholeness. And after this introduction, Paul moves on to talk about the church being one body with many members. It's one of the many places that Paul talks about all the different gifts within a church and how all are valuable. And then he continues with this in verse 9. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing respect. Don't lag in zeal. Be ardent in your spirit. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of all and extend hospitality to strangers. Bless those who persecute you. Rejoice with those who rejoice. 
live in harmony with one another and do not be haughty. And he closes with, if it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all people. You probably hear some resonance with other teachings in there. Paul is drawing on the things that Jesus had said and the practices that were already present in the early church when he writes these things. He's not really creating this idea of what it means to live together. He's reminding people about what they already know about this life of faith and community. And then a few chapters later, he gets into this really practical question that might even seem a little nitpicky to our modern ears of what do we eat when we are together? At the time of the writing of the letter, the church was growing. And as more people were attracted to this way of Jesus, the understanding of what it meant to follow a Jewish teacher was shifting. Gentiles were joining the movement and they were bringing with them these different understandings and different beliefs. They didn't eat the same things. They didn't practice the same holidays. They used different language to describe who Jesus was to them. And it meant some very concrete questions like, what do we eat when we're together, had some really big theological ideas behind it, like, who are we? And how do we make space for all of the people who want to know more? In the United Church of Christ, we can sometimes face a similar question when it comes to defining who we are. I've been thinking about that a lot lately because we are headed into the final weeks of our confirmation class right now, and it's come up in there many times with our middle schoolers. In many traditions, confirmation serves as this choosing point. Are you a Christian or not? Can you take communion or not? Do you belong? For us, confirmation is a choosing point. Kids who are confirmed become official members here. And for the official purposes, that means that they can vote at congregational meetings. It means their name will have a little star on it all their own next to our church directory. It means that they can serve on church committees just like any other member. But kids who decide not to be confirmed right now will still be welcome at UCC Longmont. They will still be able to take communion just like they were. They'll still be able to come to youth group or our intergenerational gatherings or to participate in leading worship. I know that this community will still love them and nurture them as they grow, just like it did 
from the very first day they came here, whether that was a baby baptized right here or an older kid and a new community trying out church for the very first time. And so I like to think that there is some kind of less tangible aspect to becoming a member of the church. And that's where it gets hard to describe. How do we define who is in and who is out? If the phrasing of that question that way made you cringe a little bit, that is a good thing. Jesus' followers need to be leery of defining who is in and who's out. Because what we know about Jesus is that he is a barrier breaker. And any time we as the church has tried to build a fence around who belongs and who doesn't, Jesus has put in a gate. And for us, that is true even when it comes to belief. We say often we don't have tests of faith here. We have testimonies of faith here. Our most foundational question for confirmands and for new members of all ages, for people who are being baptized, who are bringing their children to be baptized, is do you seek to follow Jesus? That's it. We don't all believe exactly the same thing here because our boundary here isn't what we believe or who we are. Our boundary is who we follow. Sometimes in other settings we have talked about this in terms of walls and wells. And maybe some of you have heard that language. Walls are one way to define a community. They are clear markers. You are in or you are out. If you live in Longmont, you are eligible to run for Longmont City Council. If you pay for a membership, you, are you belong to a gym. If you believe XYZ, you belong to XYZ Church. Wells are things that people gather around because they are drawn there. Wells are life-giving in some way. For us, Jesus is that well. He is living water, as he says, and people, when they search for him, will find him. Notice there that the church is not the well. The church is more like the town square around it. Which means that we can help people find it or not. And if you've ever been lost, then you know what it's like to be searching for signs who aren't there. You know what it's like to be wondering where you should go, but everything's confusing. In my neighborhood, there's uh, other neighborhoods building up around it, so the signs are changing, and sometimes they're just gone, and sometimes they point a direction that is not accurate anymore. In the town square, we want to be clear signs for how to find the well. 
And so when we take this idea of following Jesus out of the realm of belief, when we shift it from what do you know to how do we find the well together, then we come up with some very practical guidelines for what it means. The things that Paul said, the things that Jesus said, we care for each other. We give to those in need. We work to bless those who persecute us. Those aren't secondary. Those are the path. That's the way. In 480, the person that uh, we now know as Benedict, as Saint Benedict, was born. Those of you who like history would note that this is the time during the decline of the Roman Empire. It was a difficult time. It was a chaotic time. It was a time when people were wrestling with notions about civilization and community and belonging at all levels. Who belongs in the Roman state? Who has citizenship? Who makes the rules? St. Benedict had some of these similar questions, but he wasn't interested in Rome. He was interested in what the Bible calls the realm of God, the kingdom of God. Benedict wanted to figure out how we become a citizen of the world that God is creating. He wanted to know practically Day to day, what does this look like? And so out of this came a rule of life. And these were guidelines for living, and they were especially guidelines for living together in community. And they're still practiced. They became the foundation of Western monasticism. They are so concrete. Pray five times a day. Feed anyone who comes to your door. Speak in kind words only. Ask for forgiveness. What Benedict tried to do was the same thing that Jesus tried to do, which was the same thing that Paul tried to do, which is the same thing that we all try to do. It's to say, if you want to follow Jesus, here's how that looks. Here are the signs. This was on my mind because I have been noticing so much lately around how new communities are springing up around these same ideas. And it's an idea that has held true for all of these centuries. But it seems to be taking root in a new way in recent years. People are searching for belonging. They're searching for what they are calling intentional communities. They want what we all want, which is to belong in a way that means something. And so they're willing to do this hard work of following these rules because they know that the spiritual growth is worth it. I also was thinking of it a little bit 
uh, like being married. We might not define our marriage based on a statement of faith. I don't in my family. But on what we believe that marriage is. We define it based on how we treat each other. And we do it because the payoff of building that kind of home, that kind of tiny community where we all want to live up to our highest ideals is worth the challenge of living up to high ideals. Last week in worship, we had the chance to sit with the new community covenant that is being looked at as another aspect of our life together in this Christian community. And it reminded me of all of these things, of St. Benedict's rule of life, of marriage, of intentional community covenants that are existing in spiritual and non-spiritual places alike. It reminded me of how often Jesus talks about this community. More than he talks about anything else, he talks about how to live together. And he talks about it with all of these metaphors. A well, a stream, a wedding, a sheep barn, a garden, a table. The table becomes for Jesus and for us the central metaphor, the central way that we talk about what does it mean to be community together. And it's fitting because the table can be the place where we are all welcome. I hope you have in your memory a time of being welcomed at a table that was a surprise to you. You know that real welcome when you go to somebody's house or you have an in, unexpected invitation and that welcome feeds your soul. That's the table that we hope to create and to be here. It's the place where we come to be fed, but where we also come to feed others. We learn to give at the table. We learn together what it means to live in a way that people want to come. They want to say yes when you issue the invitation for dinner. They know they will be transformed. And so as we turn to our time of communion, our time at this table and at our table together, a table where all are welcome no matter who you are or where you are on life's journey. As we turn to that table, I want to ask the question again. How do you know when you belong to a community? And to that question, I want to add another which is how are you willing to be transformed by belonging? Mm -hmm.